From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Adam Wigger. I'm Mia Wagner. And I'm Michael Mikowski. In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other experts to hear their thoughts on the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the political and global changes that the situation has warranted. This is 1050 Bascom, COVID-19. Today on 1050 Bascom, we are happy to have Greg Reed, the chair of the Political Science Board of Visitors and the associate director of the Grass Camp Center at the UW-Madison Business School. Greg graduated from UW-Madison with a BA in political science in 1983 and an MS in real estate investment in 1988. A native Madisonian, Greg returned to Madison in July 2018 after 30 years in New York City. Throughout his career, he's worked in finance and real estate most recently working as Vice President and Senior Credit Officer at Moody's Investor Service in New York City. Craig also has a strong record of community service and is currently an appointed commissioner on the City of Madison's Community Development Authority and previously served as president of his Manhattan Co-op Board and the Vice Chairman of the Borough of Madison, New Jersey Planning Board. So thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Greg. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I am going to say we are recording this um, just in case we say anything that becomes out of date. We're recording this at 1 p.m. on Monday, March 30th, uh, 2020. Uh, so, Greg, how are you? How has your life changed over the last couple of weeks? Um, I am doing fine. I am healthy. Uh, all my friends and family members so far remain healthy as well. So I think that that's probably the most important uh, fact to state from the start, just, you know, so many major concerns um, with everybody, so much disruption and so much uncertainty, but somehow through it all, I think everybody's holding it together so far. Yeah. Where where are you spending this self-isolation? In my apartment in downtown Madison. I uh, escaped Granger Hall with my, my <laughs> desktop computer and all the setups that I needed. Um, but as I'm sure everyone else is figuring out and finding out, um, it's a little bit of a challenge to get a home office set up on short order and then to navigate making that work with other people around and other distractions in your midst. So like we just mentioned, you lived in New York City for 30 years and you worked in finance there. Oh, what are you hearing about New York City, like the healthcare situation there, maybe some of the financial market stuff since you're in the business school? Um, well, in terms of the healthcare situation, I I am hearing what most other people are hearing on the on the TV broadcasts and in the printed media. Um, but I'm also hearing anecdotally from folks that um, the streets are basically a ghost town right now. I mean, I I do think that a lot of people have continued to um, try to get some fresh air, and that they ha- actually had to limit the number of folks that were along the Hudson River Parkway. Um, along the Hudson River there and get people to practice social distancing and that parts of Central Park were also becoming crowded. Um, But I think with everything that's been transpiring on a day-in, day-out basis, I think more and more people are staying home. I have heard that a lot of people are um, applauding at 7 p.m. every single night, all of the healthcare workers that are and first responders who are putting their lives on the line day after day. Um, But it's... uh, it's not a location where people normally social distance themselves. Yeah. Um, it's very congested and very crowded. So I think it's very 
um, counter to the day in day out life of of being in New York City and having to stay six feet apiece, six feet away from anybody. Any tips for coping? You know, I think um, you you just need to stop, take a deep breath, continue to take deep breaths, get in touch with your feelings, um, but don't let them overwhelm you. And I think one of the things that's happening now that was extremely helpful or is, is extremely helpful to people is in light of social distancing, people are staying connected, finding ways to reconnect, um, reaching out to people they may have not been in touch with for a while. Um, so I think the social, social connectivity is extremely important. Um, I heard Brene uh, Brown speak about how humans are just not hardwired to be away from one another and that this is such a, a challenge in that regard. I think that's true. At least in this case, we have the opportunity to stay connected and interact with others. So I think that that part's uh, a difference and, and a helpful difference at that. You've had a, a very impressive career trajectory in both real estate and finance, but you were uh, originally, as an undergrad, a poli-sci major. So maybe could you tell us a little bit about what you were thinking as a poli-sci major in terms of the job market and career prospects? You know, I, um, I'm an accidental poli-sci major at that. I uh, switched into political science second semester junior year without ever having taken a political science class um, okay. because I needed to find a new major. And um, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew my mother had been a political science major at UW-Madison as well. So I thought that might be a safe haven. So I landed in poli-sci and pretty much had to take almost nothing but poli-sci classes um, in order to graduate. Um, I really had no clue how to go about looking for a job um, or putting together a resume. I mean, back at that point, you looked at the, the help wanted listings on the, in the newspaper or there was word of mouth or there might be a, a posting on a, a bulletin board that there was a job opening. So it wasn't until I took the legislative process class my final semester that I had a better sense of what some of those opportunities might be um, working potentially as a le legislative aide at the state capitol. So I... I stumbled, I floundered, but I found my way eventually and um, ended up using my poli-sci degree um, initially to become a legislative aide in the Wisconsin State Capitol for two members of the state assembly. Was that during college or directly after it that you were a legislative aide? Um, that was directly after. Okay. I, I, I leveraged the connections I made um, work, um, working for a state legislator um, to then find other opportunities that might be available. Okay. And you stayed in Madison then and then went on to get your um, real estate degree. Correct. It was interesting. I had two classes my last semester, both of which were um, rather transformative. We seem to be using that word a lot in this discussion, but um, <laughs> they, they seem to apply. I had the legislative process. And then I was also I also signed up and took the real estate process class uh, with Professor James Grasscamp, who was the chairman of the department. And I I saw the overlap and in, in interconnectivity between politics and real estate through those two courses. And it was at that moment that I kind of knew what my path forward would be um, in terms of the pursuing real estate. Um, 
Professor Grasskamp was quite an individual, uh, a leader academically and in, and in industry as well. And I just sort of basically had the light bulb moment that that's what I wanted to do when I when I went back to grad school. That would be what I wanted to be when I grew up. Great. Um, and just one thing before we move on from this is I'm also part of the Poli-Sci Mentorship Program and um, you gave us a short talk and we talked about professional narratives. Would you mind uh, sharing with us yours? I, I don't know who enjoyed that uh, discussion at SuccessWorks more, um, you know, the 20 or 30 of you or, or myself. I always learn so much when I interact with others, especially um, with students. Um, I'd have to say my, my, my elevator pitch, if you'll call it that, is um, I'm all about lifelong learning. If there's an opportunity for me to do something new and different where I can learn something, um, I'm open to it, whether it's uh, taking an online class, um, being part of a book club, if I can t take on a new assignment or a new role and I can learn something from that, sign me up. Um, and I think that that sort of characterizes my entire career. Um, if there was a new opportunity to learn something, I jumped at the opportunity. And I, one of the things I, I say to any number of students now is they ask me, well, what I, which job should I take? And quite honestly, at this point now, I think most people will be lucky to have the have a choice to make. But I always say to them, where do you think you will learn more? And I, I guide them in, in that direction more so than saying, oh, take the job with the best pay um, or whatever criteria they might want to use. But I always say, where do you think you'll learn more than anything else? So that's probably um, a, a guidepost for me. So Greg, what are some things that you wish you had been told during your college career? <laughs> Where do I start? Um, you know, the whole concept of career coaching and um, guidance in that respect, really, I don't remember it really being a, a factor at all. Um, there was academic advising, um, but in terms of true advising in the in the sense of it, um, no, not not really a part of it. So I think had I had a better notion of how it, everything was fitting together and being able to view things from the vantage point of well, what what are some of the skill sets that I'm developing? What are some of my professional traits? Um, I think if I had been able to have somebody sit down and, and walk me through that a little bit better, I might have um, been in a better position to um, execute on different ideas and different um, paths that I could have taken. Um, you know, one thing I didn't really learn until later in my career was somebody finally said to me during a period of um, unsolicited 360 degree feedback that, you know, Greg, don't feel like you have to fight for everything. You've already got a certain level of credibility and you don't have to fight your way back to that level. Just start from that level and instead of having to sort of claw your way up and feel like you have to prove yourself every single time you're, you're making a presentation or presenting an idea or trying to seek buy-in from other people. And that was, that was a big aha moment for me. And I think, um, you know, it's helpful to get unsolicited feedback to secure um, commentary from others and be open to 
um, whatever comments they have, and hopefully they can be helpful and professional and insightful. But I think it's it is helpful to get unsolicited feedback from folks and just say, "Hey, how did I do? Um, any suggestions? Any feedback that you'd like to offer up?" And I know that um, some people can be too much so that way, but I, I I think it is helpful to ask others for their feedback um, to better understand how you come across to other people and to maybe make some adjustments or pivots as need be. So I think those are probably the two biggest things that I wish I had known back in my college days. That's some great advice. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so how do you engage with politics and how have you maintained your political activism throughout your changing career path? Well, it's interesting. I think my I, politics got instilled in me uh, probably in elementary or middle school when uh, a childhood friend's mother ran for city council here in, in Madison. And then another neighbor um, or someone from the neighborhood also ran for city council. And so the whole notion of going door to door was introduced to me very early, talking about policy positions, why one person over the other. Um, my parents um, were politically aware, um, somewhat politically engaged. Ironically, my mother's vote never counted until my father passed away because they were both on other opposite sides of the political spectrum. Um, but they both had strong opinions and um, discussed the various policy issues with all of us growing up. Um, I stepped back after working in the state legislature for a while and then became re-engaged when Tammy Baldwin ran for U.S. Senate. Um, having grown up in Madison and being part of being of that that vintage, um, Tammy and I went to high school together. So I've known her since the high since our high school days. And it was through our through her race when I was living out in New York that I I started to help doing some fundraising for her. And so that triggered getting invited to, to join a political advocacy, advocacy group that seeks to elect LGBTQ individuals to public office, whether it's from dog, dog catcher, now on up to what we just saw in this most recent election cycle with uh, Mayor Pete running as an openly, openly gay presidential candidate. So um, it always has been a little bit of a, uh, I think I've always walked a tightrope with my political engagement because it doesn't hasn't always necessarily aligned with my um, my professional career, and there were always distinctions that needed to be um, brought up between your personal views, your professional views, making sure that uh, whatever you did in your personal life and your political life was on your own time and with your own email and your own um, cell phone type of thing. Um, but I, um, I have remained politically engaged and um, still remain involved with the Victory Fund, which is a Washington, D.C.-based um, political group, nonprofit, nonpartisan. Um, but then moving to Madison, I quickly became re-engaged as well. And through others here in the community, was um, sought after for a, a position on an, any number of the different commissions and ultimately was asked if I would be willing to serve on the Community Development Authority here in Madison. So it was probably one of the final appointments that Mayor Soglin made 
um, but I've been serving on that just for a little bit over a year now. But um, I remain engaged um, at the local level, regional level, state and national level as well, and have had the privilege and honor to meet many elected officials at all levels of government and to see their careers rise and flourish and to get to learn a lot of the different policy issues that were unknown to me um, until beginning, be, becoming re-engaged again. Um, along those lines with your political involvement, what are some of the most rewarding political events that you've attended or participated in? I think one of the more recent ones um, was actually hearing Mayor Pete's speech um, in April 2019 when he spoke to the Victory Fund's national brunch. Um, that was you could have heard a pin drop in that room. It was it was so riveting and so poignant and so meaningful. Um, but I've also been in the same room with um, President Obama, uh, Secretary Clinton, um, and countless others. So it's um, but the one I think the one that's the most poignant and most meaningful was hearing Mayor Pete's speech um, in Washington D.C. just a little bit almost a year ago now. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So looking maybe at more of a professional setting, something I know that I've thought about and we've had conversations with other people about is how we share our political identities once we enter the workplace. So maybe you can give some of your insight or your experience doing that is sort of do you share your political identity and how do you share opinions that you might find yourself in the minority in the workplace? What's well, interesting. Um... You know, one thing I, I remember mentioning at the uh, the mentoring discussion that we had at SuccessWorks was the notion of how are you putting yourself out there to the world? A lot of people have any number of profiles and any number of sites um, that they follow that you may like or, or dislike or comment on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on, on some level, after that discussion, I... I kind of asked myself, who really cares whether I, you know, I, I thumbs up or I, you know, heart something or like something, you know, what is that? How is that going to change the the discourse for anything right now? But I do think um, there are platforms for for engaging and um, different means to interact with others that may have similar or dissimilar political views. I think it's sort of interesting to listen to how people describe situations and perhaps their word choice. And I think you can sort of read between the lines or read the tea leaves and get a sense where they might be coming out. Um, I know that a lot of people are very careful about sharing their political and religious views um, in the workplace, other, other, you know, but there are other situations where People can't wait to tell you what they think about everything. Uh, a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, a lot of questioning. Um, so I I just personally, I like to listen, engage where the discussion is going. And I think one thing I, I've, you others will have heard me say many times, a lot of people listen to respond. They don't listen to listen. And I think listening to listen really is a useful and effective tool to sort of decipher what's really going on in terms of what are their whether they're 
for or against a candidate, where you know what their positions may be on social issues. Um, I'm reticent at first, but I will share um, if I feel comfortable sharing. Now, if somebody's clearly crossing the line and saying something inappropriate or offensive, um, then they need to be called out on it, and you need to say something. That there, there is a bright line at some point where just enough is enough, and people need to be respectful and be decent. And um, you know, the golden rule: do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. And I just think that there's far too little of that now, where you can. Agree to disagree, but you don't have to make it personal and you don't have to go on the attack. And I just marvel at all the comments after so, so many newspaper articles where all these people just seem to chime in with their, with their comments, oftentimes so nasty and, you know, these personal attacks. But then they also, they also, um, we also have the situation where people will comment online and they feel like they can hide behind a, an email address or a social media identity and just go on the attack without really even knowing what the, the person's background or situation might be. So um, I, I generally, as I said, I'm reticent to share with a wide audience, um, but I'm also mindful of if, the, if people go on the attack or it really goes awry and, and it gets personal and addictive and nasty, um, that needs to be called out. In a plight, just, and just say, we respect, I respectfully disagree and just move on or, or, or distance yourself. Maybe this is the perfect, perfect <laughs> opportunity to invoke social distancing um, when people um, go nasty. Right, we take some time to reflect on how we've been talking about our politics maybe a little bit as well. To kind of like wrap up our conversation here, do you have any advice for students to help them kind of normalize what is happening in the economy and the workplace? Great question. Um, one thing I would definitely say is take care of yourself. Um, make sure you have a routine. I, you know, the, There's the book, Make Your Bed. And I think that there's some truth to that where if you set up a routine, um, keep yourself healthy, get exercise, stay connected socially, um, that we're all going to get through this. This is the most likely the first economic downturn that most college students have experienced. I can't, I, I can't sit here and tell you that it's been rosy ever since 2009, 2010, Obviously, there have been a lot of challenges along the way, but in terms of ever experiencing an economic downturn, this is probably the first one um, for, for most people that are in their late teens or early 20s. Um, we don't really know what this one is going to look like on the other end. I've heard comments that it's going to be very severe, very deep, but that um, if you want to think about um, economic terms, that will be a V, a very deep drop. And just the news of uh, what's going on in the airline industry, the hotel industry, so many folks, I think about the agricultural sector here in Wisconsin and how decimated they have already been so far. And just thinking what's going to happen now with this, with ha this happening and are they even going to be able to get out into their fields and plant? But, you know, we will 
get through this. I have no doubt that we will. I don't know what it's going to look like. I do know that a lot of students had the beauty and benefit of being able to choose from any number of jobs. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case right now. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that this experience will shape how a generation views the world on a go-forward basis. Um, but I do. I am hopeful. I, above all, I am hopeful. That's really nice to hear, especially right now for so many of us in college who are experiencing this for the first time um, and are very uncertain. It's nice to hear uh, those reassuring words. So Greg Reed, thank you so much for being with us and for answering our questions and having a conversation. Hopefully this isn't the last time we talk. Uh, next time, maybe it'll be in person, but thank you for uh, joining us on 1050 Bascom. My pleasure. I hope everyone stays healthy and safe. For more information regarding the podcast, please visit policy.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. For more information on the university's policies and responses to the pandemic, please visit covid19.wisc.edu. You can find more episodes on all streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to 1050 Bascom COVID-19. Stay safe and take care of each other. 